You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12, and don't be afraid. You say, preacher, what do you mean, don't be afraid? Well, if you notice, the text is Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 22, and it's only one sermon. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody else is laughing. <laughs> I thought you might wonder, how in the world is he going to finish 10 chapters in one sermon? I've got a plan. I've always got a plan. This is a single message, meaning that <clears throat> we're not going to attempt to uh, stretch this out into any kind of a series. We're going to start a new sermon series after next Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll have Brother Robert Bax with us. And I hope you've seen his video on our, uh, on our social media where it's just kind of given an introduction of, of, of what he's going to be doing. And he's sharing his heart for our church and his excitement to come. So Brother Bax and his Australian accent is going to preach next Sunday. You don't want to miss it for a lot of reasons, but hey, listen, it's fun to listen to an Australian preach. It just is. And he's an amazing, amazing preacher. Then the following week, we'll start a new sermon series. I've already know what it's going to be. I, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet, uh, but I'm excited about it. That will lead us into Thanksgiving, and we'll begin to talk about that, and then, of course, into the Advent season. So we're going to have a strong finish. But this morning, I want to direct your attention to the theme of the year. It's the year of the child. And I think we've done an adequate job, if not a, a superb job, of starting the year and, fin- and, and, and now finishing the year with a great emphasis on this. We began the year with emphasizing the fact that we were going to put a new air condition in the, in the, in the nursery. And that was a big project. That was a $15,000 project. And you, you, you gave. You guys were amazing. And your generosity now has resulted in that building. That, and all of our buildings other than the Champion building really are older facilities. But we are continuing to find ways. And we've got a lot of ideas and things to share with you at the end of this year and the first and next year. Ways we can continue to make improvements. But we put a new air condition, and that's been a great, great, great blessing. And we focused on taking care of the children first because, you know, we mature people can handle it, right? Amen. You like that? Instead of saying old, you like mature? I like mature better. Amen? All right. And then we, we began to put new people in leadership. Uh, Troy and Candace Brassel came to our church and stepped into the leadership role over the nursery and the mini lights. And they are phenomenal people who are continuing to find ways to improve and, and to make our ministry to those children better. And, of course, they're ministering to our parents as well when they do that. Uh, Josiah Capace became our children's pastor, transitioned after several years of helping with the worship team into that role, and he is excited about it. And if you've, if you've had any part of, of following him uh, and just getting to know his heart for this thing, he has got a vision, and we're already feeling the passion that he has uh, in leading that ministry, having someone in that position for the first time in about four or five years, it's very, very exciting. We've also uh, finished, almost finished, a little bit more to go with the playground area that's in between kind of all of the nursery buildings, the garden, the youth buildings. And that's starting to look really good. And we've got a few more improvements we need to make to it. But in actuality, kids are using it already. It's, very, it, it's, it's much improved. And that was several thousand dollars that people in our church gave. What am I saying? I'm saying this has been the year of the child, and we continue to emphasize it. I've also preached 
two-sermon series on parenting and marriage and family. And so it's been, it's been exciting. Doesn't mean I won't continue to do that in the years to come, but it means we've kind of overdosed, if you will. We've, we've intentionally said, this is going to be the year of the child. So how do we finish? Well, this is how we're going to finish. Tonight, we're going to watch a movie. <clears throat> the movie is entitled, Like Arrows. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, Scripture speaks about our children. We are the warriors. We are the dads and the moms, the parents, the grandparents, the mentors who have been given this great responsibility to steward the most precious gift next to salvation that God has given us, and that's our children. And this movie will become then a way for us to transition into an eight-week parenting Bible study. It's going to be super exciting. But before then, I want to talk to you for a few moments about this idea of surrendering our kids to God. We're going to teach from Scripture this morning. I can assure you everything we teach this morning is based in Scripture. And it's based in a great story in Scripture. Before we start, if you need a worship guide, would you raise your hand? Just because it's important that everybody has a way to take notes because this is so valuable. So raise your hands and the gentleman will get that to you as quickly as possible. Usually we have more than than just Steve, but hey, Steve, thanks for your faithfulness, man. The lone usher. All right. How to surrender your kids to God. The ones that you already have. The ones that are already born. Secondly, the ones that aren't born yet. Isn't that exciting? I mean, there's a lot of exciting families in our church right now that are either pregnant and with child or planning on having children, anticipating how many they'll have. Or maybe the ones that are small. You've already had children and they're small. What about the ones that are large? 15, 20, 25, 27, right? You never stop being a what? A parent. So it doesn't matter where you're at on the spectrum of parenting. This applies to you. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 12. And this is what I've done. I've divided this story into three scenes. And my notes are a little bit mixed up this morning in your worship guide. They're all there. They'll all be preached and taught. But you'll notice as I move into the message, just it's easy to keep up with it. But I've changed the presentation of some of the notes. We're actually going to end with five ways to surrender your kids to God instead of begin with that. But I do want to begin with three scenes. I want to introduce to you my movie. Tonight, it's like arrows. This morning, I want to preach the movie with three scenes, how to surrender your kids to God. Number one, I want you to notice the first scene of a desperate longing. It has to do with the desperation of Abraham and Sarah. A couple who had been married, as we read Genesis chapter 12, for probably at least 50 years. They had a very active love life. And yet, they had no children. The Bible says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, verse 1, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make to you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing It will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Notice this promise. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old. Wow, this is crazy. We're actually beginning the story, and Abraham is 75, and Sarah is 10 years younger. She's 
65. They have no children, but they've been given this enormous promise that God is going to bless them with a nation. You got to know a little bit of background of this story. How did this all come to be? Why is God so concerned about a nation? Well, it all started with an Adam and Eve, and you know the story, how that kind of went south, right? And as a result of sin coming into the world, the world ended up having about a population of 2 million people who were in total rebellion against God. So God said, well, I got one family that's doing pretty much anything for me, and it's Noah. That's it. The other 1,999, whatever, I mean, everybody else was rebellious against God and But this one family, so God said, let's start this thing over. So God takes Noah in Genesis chapter 6, and God starts over with with another people. But take two kind of had the same results. (laughs) I mean, things got out of hand again, and now millions of people are still rebelling against God. But remember the promise he made to Noah that he would not destroy the earth by flood again. So he had to keep that promise. So God said, you know what? I just want a nation. I mean, if I can't get the whole world, I'll just take a nation. And so God calls Abraham and he makes this promise to Abraham that out of you, the whole world's going to be blessed. And I'll have a people for myself. And here it is. He's 75 years old. He receives this promise. His wife is 65 years old. Would you fast forward to chapter 16 and verse number one for just a moment and check this out with me. In chapter 16, verse one, it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I mean, they've been given this promise they're going to have a nation, and it's been 10 years since the promise. Abraham now is what? 85. Sarah is 75, and, and no kids. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, behold now, the, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant that it may be well with you and that I shall obtain children. I got a backup plan. It's not God's plan. It's my plan. But can I tell you, this is oftentimes what happens when things don't work out with children. A lot of parents freak out over their kids or lack of kids. We find ourselves in a desperately longing place. What does that mean? The word desperate is a sense of having no hope. The word desperate uh, speaks of being in a place of restlessness. Whether you have a child that is wayward, that, that presents a lot of problems for your family. Minus what I'm speaking about this morning. And I want you to, want you to be honest with me. I'm going to be honest with you. Oftentimes, because a, a, a family has a special needs child like we do, moms and dads, just the family breaks up. It blows up. If you have any, if you've done any study at all... Uh, of families who have foster children or who have special needs kids, it, it, it usually puts a lot of stress on the family that oftentimes becomes the demise of that family. It could be that a husband and wife who are longing to have children, but God has not uh, blessed them yet with children. And many times there's a lot of blaming that goes on. And you can imagine there was no methods that we have, like the methods we have now to try other ways to have kids. None of that back then. There was a very desperate longing within these two that actually Sarah said, hey, uh, Abraham, go into my handmaid and try it with her. This is crazy. But sometimes when you're not fully trusting God and you got kid problems, crazy things can happen. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. 
when Abram was 99 years old. Oh my. Man, you guys are, we're already five chapters into this, into this text. And now Abraham's 99 years old. And we started out at 75. And now he's 99. And he, the Lord appeared to Abram and says to him, I am God Almighty. It's like God is still excited. God never loses his excitement about his promises. If God promises you something, you may lose your faith, but God is not losing his. God is always going to back what he says. Every time. His timing is different than your timing. And many of us bail out, but God never bails out. So God's pumped. Abraham's 99 years old, you know. (laughs) I mean, by the way, notice this is the first time that God calls him old. That's encouraging. I'm 53. I ain't old. I'm not old till I'm 99. That's Bible, by the way. I'm going to preach a sermon. You're not old till you're 99, according to the word of God. Abraham was 99 years old. and Here's God. I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and and, and may multiply you greatly. He's still talking about it. And Abraham falls on his face. I kind of think Abraham fell on his face because he was like, this is ridiculous, God. You're killing me. The Bible says, he said, behold, God says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. If I'm Abraham about right now, I'm saying, God, could you get off the nations thing? Can I have one kid? Can you give me one? I mean, I appreciate your exaggeration about the nations and all that and the multitude of the skies, the stars of heaven. Can can you give me one kid? Can I have one? No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Okay, God, good. One, give me one. I make you exceedingly fruitful. One, God, I'll take one. The fruitful's good, but I'll take one. And I'll make you nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant with, uh, and and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. Offspring. (laughs) One, God, I'll take one. After you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you and to your offspring. I'll stop there just Offspring, offspring, offspring. If you read the text, offspring, offspring, offspring. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Promise, promise, promise. God, I'm 99 years old, and here's the bottom line. I have no children. This is a desperate situation. Nothing can make you more desperate than the subject of children. And regardless of where you are on the spectrum this morning, regardless of where you fall on raising kids or kids being raised already or pregnant or having children or childless at this point, regardless of where you are, you have to get to the place where you can surrender this to God. Whatever the situation is, you mom and dad, you have to get to the place where you can surrender it, give it to God. So there's a desperate longing. Can I give you scene two? In scene two, we see what I'm going to call a delightful laughter. It's a delightful laughter. It begins in chapter 17 and verse number 15. And God says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. Here it is again. More promises. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. She's 89. I'll bless her. And she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham falls on his face and laughs. He just cracks up. He's like, God, you've been doing this for like decades. 
This is insane. I'm 99. My wife and I don't even do it anymore. I mean, I'm 99, God. I'm old. I mean, she's past the age of childbearing. God, this is ridiculous. This is so funny. Let me ask you a question, church. What makes people laugh? You know what I think makes people laugh? Here's my opinion. and, And I thought about it based on this story. What makes people laugh is the absurdity of something. It's like, no, you're, you're lying. That's, there's no way. That's crazy. Are you serious? <laughs> Absurdity. That's how Abraham feels right now. God, this is insane. Would you cut it out? Uh, let me bail you out, God. Look at this. This is amazing. So he falls on his face. He laughs. He says to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99, or rather 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham says to God, oh, that Ishmael might leave, live before you. God says, Abraham says, tell you what, God, here's what we'll do. I'll bail you out, God. I mean, hey, you know, I, I tell you what, let me let you off the hook. Why don't you let Ishmael count? I mean, you know, I know we didn't do it right. I know we screwed things up and we kind of did things our own way. But at least I got a kid. So, God, why can't we just let, let Ishmael be the one? Look at God's answer. See it? No. No. We're not doing it that way. I made a promise. No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, does anybody want to know what the name Isaac means? Laughter. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? He says, we'll even call him how you guys feel right now, that this is a big joke. But notice, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant and for his offspring after him. Wow. Look, if you would please that... uh, Verse number nine, move down the text with me just for a moment. Check it out. Said to him, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. So I love this. Where, where, where's Sarah? She's in the tent. So the Lord says, like, like God didn't know she was in the tent. But the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And the Bible says Sarah was listening behind the door. By the way, man, very interesting here. You can't keep any secrets from your wife. She's, she's listening somewhere. She's checking things out, okay? I mean, if you want to be, have a private conversation, open the door real quick, see where she's at. She's, I love that. I think that's so, you know. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, okay, God, so after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, you're going to give us some pleasure? The Lord says to Abraham, I don't get it, Abe. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall, in, shall I indeed bear a, a child now that I'm old? Why did she laugh? Abraham, is anything too hard for me? Nothing's too hard for God. I want you to think right now, about something that you consider to be impossible. And then I want you to hear God say, is anything too hard for me? And then it goes on to say that at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
And then the good news comes in chapter 21. Look at it with me. It says in verse 1, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. So finish this with me, church. Promise made, promise kept. God kept his promise. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. And God had commanded him, uh, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Wow. A delightful laughter. So now he's got a boy, right? So what happens next? Last chapter, chapter 22. There's a desperate longing, scene one. There's a delightful laughter, scene two. Scene three, there's a dangerous love. Now, what is a dangerous love? Well, I want to begin by saying something that I believe can be obviously seen in this passage. What we're going to see unfold in chapter 22 indicates this to us, that Abraham had put his son before God. He had. And you know, in some ways you can't blame him. I'll get to that later. But I mean, Abraham was so excited to finally have a son. He was rich. One of the richest men in all the world. He really didn't have to work. He could spend all the time in the world with his kid. And he did. No doubt in my mind. There was very seldom ever a time where Abraham wasn't right with his boy. Doing everything with him. Probably overprotective and overcautious and overbearing. And all the things that a parent can be. It's his only child. And, and so there's a lot of things going on here. And that can be dangerous. Very dangerous. And so we come to chapter number 22. And the Bible says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abe says, here I am. He said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And Abraham, I want you to take your son and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. We don't have in between that verse and the next verse what Abraham must have been thinking or saying. We just know ultimately that this is what Abraham did. He rose up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? I'm not sure I understand what what this is all about. He's he's walking up this mountain with the wood and, and everything he needs for the burnt offering, which is going to be his son. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham says to the young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And I love this. And we'll be back. Me and my boy will come back. You see the faith that God had, or that Abraham had. Almost the kind of faith that if he would have killed him, that God would have raised him from the dead, several theologians have said. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both 
went together. Father, son, hey, it's a picnic, right? We're going hiking. I mean, this could be fun. Isn't that what Isaac must have been thinking at first? You agree? Hey, Dad, this is cool, man. Look at that animal. Look at that raccoon, Dad. This is so fun. Hey, Dad, this is so cool. And they're talking, and Abraham's, as Isaac's laughing and being a kid, and then all of a sudden it hits him. My father, verse 7. Abraham says, here I am, son. Hey, Dad, I see the fire and the wood. But, Dad, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? What's your plan, Dad? Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. One of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus and the gospel in all the Bible. God will provide himself a lamb. God provided Jesus to become the substitute for you and I to go to heaven and not die and go to hell forever. So they both went of them to get both went uh, of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and there and laid the wood and the order and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Lord. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I want you to look at that verse on the screen. And I want you to see that that verse this morning is what God wants to know about every parent in this room. That's what God has to ask you this morning. This is the message. Have you fully surrendered your kids to God? And is God first in your life? Because what we find in this incredible story and in this unbelievable text of Genesis 22... Is that God wants to know that your first love is a love for him. And not for someone he has given you. You see, God has given us our kids. And so many times we find ourselves placing our kids in a position, in a place that is more important than him. And God knows that any love which places someone or something above God is a Scene three is a dangerous love. Any love placed in someone or something that is above God is a dangerous love. And so I want to begin some notes here. Whether you're a single adult or a parent, there's something here for you. So let's begin with this. I want to give you two or three reasons why loving our kids more than God is kind of understandable. I want to lighten it up a little bit here. I really do. It's been pretty heavy up until now, but I get it. It's not easy. And it's kind of understandable as to why sometimes we put our kids before God. And here's three reasons. Number one, because we see our kids. I'm just telling you what's made it tough on me sometimes is it's easier to love those you see Sometimes than it is to love someone who you can't see. For instance, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 puts it like this. God understood 
who we were and how we were. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Think about it for just a minute. God even recognizes the fact that it's easier to love someone you can see. And and sometimes that is required of us before we can truly love God whom we have not seen. And because we can see our kids, it's kind of understandable as to how we can love them sometimes more than we love God. Because we, we can see them. They're before us. They're, they're with us. They're in our house. We, we put them to bed. We wake them up. We take them to school. We, we see them. Number two. Second reason why sometimes it's kind of understandable is they feed our egos. Their successes feed our egos. You know, we like to brag about it, don't we? My kid did this, my kid did that, my kid scored this, my kid is this, my kid did this, my kid has this quality, my kid, isn't she pretty? Here's a picture, look at this, look at this, that's fine. But we're doing that because it feeds our egos. You've seen it. Parents who live vicariously through their children. We see it a lot in sports. We have a, like, for instance, we have a college basketball team here. It's been interesting this year as we've kind of grown as a college and got accredited and we have our financial aid now. And so it was, we got it late in the game of recruiting. So our athletic recruiting was very successful. Whereas next year, our recruiting all across the board for every program will be much more successful because we'll have an entire year to recruit. But, but for now, we've been blessed to have a lot of Athletes, and we have a baseball team and a basketball team and a girls' basketball, and it's great. It's, it's what God gave us for now. We're, we're happy about it. But in that recruiting, we, we find that some people are not able to admit that, and we are, we recruit and we tell people we are the lowest level of basketball in the nation. We're not NCAA Division One, Two. Three, we're not NAIA, we're not NCCAA Division One. We are a member of the NCCAA, but we're not competing yet in their tournaments. We are the ACCA. You say, who's that? Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> we understand that. So there's sometimes you'll get a, you recruit somebody and you'll be with them in the office with the parents and, listen, my kid could have gone anywhere. And why are they sitting in my office? I'm not slamming anybody. It's just better if you're honest, right? I mean, the truth of the matter is, is sometimes I hear parents say, you know, I really think my kid just got overlooked and he's a D1 player. I wonder if he can come here and play a little bit. And then they get to the tryouts. And even of the 30 guys we have, they're like number 25. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not being critical of that as much as I'm illustrating that because our kids can feed our egos, we can get really, we can get somewhat skewed in our thinking. And ultimately it hurts our kids. I call it pendulum parenting. My kid's going to do what I couldn't do. I got disciplined. My dad disciplined me so much. So I'm just not going to discipline my kids. I grew up with nothing. So my kids are going to grow up with everything. Pendulum parenting. I was, I never got to do all these things, so my kids are going to get to do all of these things. So they feed our egos. and Makes it tough sometimes to love God more than our kids. 
Number three, our kids need us. That's the third reason why it's kind of understandable. Hey, is anybody in here like me? Okay, not a trick question. Is anybody in here like me? I'm going to lift my hand first. The answer, okay, this is me. I love to be needed. Anybody else like that? Okay. All right. I'm surprised not everybody's hand went up. I kind of think that God made us. People need to be needed. So if you didn't raise your hand, just it'd be a great conversation to find out what, what, why you didn't. Because I really believe that it's not just me. I don't think I'm weird or unusual or strange. Well, that's just preacher, you know, he's just a real needy person. I think we're all kind of needy. I love it when my kid calls me and says I need something. I love it. I'm like, all right, kid, find it yourself. Click. You know, I'm like, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. I'll pick you up. I'll, yeah, what you need? Five dollars? I got that. Well, we'll handle that. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about my kids are lazy and don't work and don't at times save up and pay for it. But I mean, I, I, I like the fact that even sometimes my 27-year-old son will call me and say, Mo will say, Dad, I need a favor. I love that. I love it. I'm like, really? Yeah, what can I do? How much you need? Let me see if I can pull it off. Let me see what I can do for you. I mean, I love to be needed. And because our kids need us, every human being needs to be needed. But there's a danger in this. I think there's nothing sadder than a mom or a dad who puts that kind of pressure on their kid. It's dangerous. When that kid becomes, we become so needy of that kid, that that kid, that child, that girl, that boy begins to meet the needs that really our husband should be meeting, or God should be meeting, or a friend should be meeting. And yet we put all of that. Our kid's got to be our best friend. We've got to hang out with our kid. We've got to know everything about our kid. We've got we to protect our kid. We've got to be so involved with our kid that all these other relationships don't even get any time. God's left out. Our husbands are left out. Our wives are left out. Our friends are left out because we're all about the kid. It's dangerous. But it's understandable because we like to be needed. And our kids provide that for us. But loving our kids more than God is not acceptable. I mean, I understand why it happens, but it's not acceptable. And here's two reasons. It's harmful to you. It is. I mean, think about how harmful this was to Abraham. It really was. I mean, it was the, the taking away from Abraham's love for God, Abraham's time with God, and God had to get Abraham's attention in such a way that this must have been one of the most dramatic moments of Abraham's life. It's harmful to you. But secondly, it's harmful to your kids. Because whatever, including your kids, that you value more than God is harmful. And here's what God says about worshiping something else more than Him. Here's what God says. I didn't say it. God said it. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's idols. That's anything more important than God. That's not just some statue or... That's, that's sports, that's kids, that's your kids, that's hobbies, that's friends, anything. You should not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here it is. Here's what God says about that. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. If I worship anything more than God, my kids are going to have to pay for it. 
my grandkids are going to pay for it. If we place our kids above God, our kids will place themselves above us and above God. We've just seen it happen over and over again. You see, at the age of six, kids begin to formulate in their minds whether or not God is first in their family's lives. They begin to figure things out. Right at age six, young age, they begin to kind of notice my parents are making decisions and this is what's important. And what's interesting is this, is that they get their opinion about the sincerity of our faith, not by what we say, but by what we do. There's a lot of talkers in this world today. They're good talkers. But I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather want you to walk the walk than merely show the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all, the daddies and mommies are the ones who live their creed. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver, oh, those lectures, may be very wise and true. But I'd rather get my lesson, mom, dad, by observing what you do. You see, I may misunderstand you, your kids are saying today, and the high advice you give. But mom, dad, there is absolutely no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. See, your actions are louder. The decisions you make will formulate in your kid's mind at an early age as to where God is in your home. So let me give you four problem areas that I see as a, as, as a dad, as a pastor, as a parent. Number one, sports. Sports, to me, seems to be a problem area where we buy the best equipment, we, 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 buy, we give the best energy, we put this high priority. I had a guy tell me this weekend, yeah, we're on, like, you know, we, we're on a traveling team on the weekends, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this. He even went as far as to say, I didn't say anything, I knew what I was preaching Sunday, he wasn't a church member, just a guy that I talked to at the golf tournament. And he said, yeah, you know, every now and then we're able to be at church on Sundays, but you know, man, my kids, we just, I got them in everything. I see that a lot. I remember when our family faced it. I mean, it was it was though, uh, I think very honestly and and not even in a rebellious way, just said, Dad, you know, I, I, would you consider let me play an AAU team? And it was, the team would have had to be gone on Sundays. And <clears throat> it was for several weeks and he had very good reasons to desire it because, you know, he wanted to get noticed. He wanted to see, hey, you know, if I could somehow potentially showcase my talent to somebody out there that would see it other than just a small Christian school league. And it was fair. Man, I, I battled with it because I love him so much. I mean, I wanted to say yes as a dad, but I, I knew that at that moment I needed to establish something with him at that age where he knew God was first and Part of God being first is the gathering of, of Christians on Sundays. That, that's, a, that's part of it. Scripture teaches this so clearly. And I know we've got all kinds of ways we can excuse. Well, we pray in the car. Well, we have our own little church service in the hotel room. Okay. If you can live with that, God bless you. I, I just, I think there's something about the assembling of the saints together. I mean, Sundays is the Lord's day. And so I didn't just say, hey, no, you know, forget it. Boy, who do you think I am? I'm not going to. Now we talked about it. 
We talked about it to the point where I left it open-ended for several weeks to where he could keep asking. I wanted him to see it before even I had to make the final decision. I knew what the final decision, sorry, I'm giving you my secrets here, son. I knew my final decision. But I, I wanted him to be able to say, I see it, Dad, I get it. And to be honest, he did. And, and, and we worked through it. And it wasn't easy. But, but, but Ezekiel now, as an older young man, and, and, and as a freshman in college, and growing as a Christian, becoming more dedicated as a Christian, now would thank me and say, Dad, thank you. Man, it was tough. And I can't say that I would have rather do that. Maybe it's, I still got the back of my mind sometimes. Could Maybe could something have happened. But I know, Dad, you made the right decision because when it comes to eternity, that's what really matters. And I know I'm preaching the illustration. Number two, school. I'm thankful for school. I want my kids to do well in school. But I think there's a whole lot of things more important than an A. I think there's a whole lot more things important than perfect attendance. And my kids are all smart and my kid made good, whatever those scores are, ACT, SAT, whatever. I don't understand it all. Probably should, but I was a BC student. I never was the smartest kid in the class. I wanted my kids to be the smartest. I wanted my kids to do the best. I liked it when I went to these awards banquets and they get straight A's. I mean, it's all good. Feeds your ego back to that point, right? Amen. But at the end of the day, I, I, I always put my family before school. We take a vacation sometimes in the middle of the school year. They miss five days of school. <gasps> yep. Because I think family time, if it interrupts school, is Okay. I'd much rather you not get perfect attendance and your kid have to do makeup work and you guys take a little trip together. Don't over absence. Don't take advantage of this. Don't go to Tim Gillespie or your principal and say, man, my preacher just preached. We're, we're bailing out. See you in a couple months. I put my family first. No, don't do that. You know I'm not saying that. But I am saying that sometimes I think we are so just insane about this thing of school that I mean, we are more concerned with our kids having perfect attendance than we are coming to church on Sunday. We'll do anything to make sure they get to school, but, but we don't feel that way about Sundays sometimes. And that's my point. And then discipline. Discipline. I see a lot of kids just not disciplined. It's almost as if we're, we're just afraid of hurting their feelings or, or, or running them off or, 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 or whatever. I don't hurt that. And I, I, you know, I wanted to have this and that. And I was disciplined so much, so I don't want to do it. And we're, but God's love is not a pampering love. It's not. God's not concerned about you thinking. I mean, he is your best friend, but you don't have to realize that. God is going to discipline you because he loves you. And so should we feel that way about our children. Man, I was hard on my children sometimes where I guarantee you, if you ask them what their top 15 people were on planet Earth, I'd have been 16, 17, 18 at times. I wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. I was trying to be a parent to put God first. Now, you can ask all of my children now where I'm at, and I think I'm one-two with Carol Ann. Maybe we're a tie. Hopefully we are. I can't say for sure. I haven't asked him lately, but hint, hint. <laughs> My point is, is that discipline sometimes gets in the way. It becomes a problem and our kids become rebellious because we are so concerned about pampering them. 
versus discipline you. And before friendships, I'm kind of shocked at parents who take no regard to their children's friendships. I am. I'm shocked. I really am. I mean, I just think you ought to care about who your kids hang around with. I think you ought to be concerned and know if they're going to sleep over somebody's house, you need to know a lot. If they sleep over my house, you need to know a lot. I mean, the truth of the matter is there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you inquiring and being concerned about who your kids' friends are. So with that said, just to finish the sermon, let's go back to the five things. And I almost read these. We've we're, we got four minutes left. Let me give you these five things. <laughs> Surrendering your kids to God. Here, here's how I see it. At age 53, five kids, five grandkids. Here's, what I, here's the way I see it. Number one. Believe that God loves them more and better than you do. That's why I see it. If you believe that, if you believe, if you truly believe that God loves them more and better than you, you will quit being this overproductive parent that always has to, oh, no, I, I got this, I got this, I got this. Hey, God's got it. Back off a little bit. Don't be so smothering. Hey, I've, we've been there. Trust God with your kids. God, I think sometimes like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'd like to take care of you. I got this, God. You're good. It's all good. I got this. I'll let you know if I need you. God says, wait a minute. I'm part of this, you know. I'm their father. I'm their father too. And so I, I think sometimes I sense that we, we really just don't believe that God loves them better and even more than we do. We, we, maybe we believe he loves them as much as we do. No, no, he loves them so much more than you. You can't believe it. You better hope so, because one day you won't be here. So why don't you help them love God now like they should, by backing off a little bit and letting them experience, not sin. Don't, look, don't run away to this thing and, and take me out of context. I'm just simply saying, I think sometimes our kids don't get to grow up because we won't let them. Because we're so concerned about everything. And God says, if you'd let go a little bit, I'd show you what I've done in their life. It'd blow you away. Number three, number two, tell your kids that they belong to God and tell God that your kids belong to him and do it often. Oftentimes, you need to tell God, my kids belong to you. And you need to tell your kids, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You are more God's than you are mine. And you, you have a right to listen to God. And I'm not going to tell you everything you need to hear about God. You have a will of God for your life. And God loves you and God's called you and you belong to God. Amen. And do it often. My mom raised us in a single parent home. They were divorced. I was a young kid. My mom moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas. She was single parent. I mean, it's, it's amazing that my brother and I both pastor large churches. He's in Las Vegas pastoring a large church. I'm here pastoring a large ministry. We're, that's her only two kids. Split home, divorced Two years old, one year old, mom has to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to pay the bills. I'll never forget, mom told me this. I wish you could know my mother when she was younger. She's in such pain. Her health is so bad. She can't even get out of the bed. She's struggling. But if you knew my mom before, if you knew her, she was gorgeous. In fact, most places I would go, people would say, so, who, who's your wife here? I said, they would think she was my wife. She was spiritual. She was a great soul winner. She was amazing. Mom told me she went to the altar over in the old building where I got saved in before 
This was way back in the day. She went down to the altar and she said, uh, she said, I, I realized I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't keep my hand, eye on you guys like I wanted to. I couldn't keep my thumb over you guys like I thought I needed to. I realized I couldn't put food on the table, pay the bills. I couldn't do it without God and without other people. And so my mom will tell you, one of the greatest stories she tells about raising us, I went to the altar and I gave my boys to God. It's an amazing story. She cries every time. I gave them to God. I said, God, they're yours. They're not mine. They're yours. I mean, you've lent them to me. I obviously, I, if, I got to feed them. I got to pay the rent. I got to keep the bills paid. I, I've made some mistakes. I, I, you know, I, did, I, I know this is not their fault. I know I've made, but, but God, you've got to help me here and you love them more than I do. It's an amazing story. It's why I'm here today because my mother taught us this. I belong to God. And she gave us to God. She surrendered us to God. And it worked in a very imperfect, divorced home where we were so split. My dad lived 500 miles away. I'm not here today because my mom was like this awesome, perfect mother that was always there. I'm here today because I had a mom that gave us to God. The truth. Number three, do not dream dreams for your children that are not God's dreams for your kids. Sometimes I think we dream our own dreams for our kids. We kind of shape their lives, and we got to be careful about that. Our kids need to, need to dream dreams for themselves and hear from God themselves. A lot more we could say about that. Number four, challenge your children to invest their life for Christ. Ask them, if you could accomplish anything for God in this world, what would it be? Challenge them. What do you want to do for God? Where do you want to go? What do you see yourself doing 10 years from now? What do you, what, what, what do you think God's gifted you with? And what's your dream? And what's your vision? And get behind it. But challenge them. Challenge them to live for God. Bring it to them. And kids love to rise to a challenge. Here's the thing. Zoe has his whole life in front of him. And I've, I've, I've lived most of my life. I want this kid to be more successful than me. I want him to do more for God than me. I want Mo and Joe and Chloe and Glow to do more than I ever thought about doing. Obviously, I've got, I, I desire that for them. But I also understand that, that I've, I've got to challenge them to hear from God themselves and to accomplish something great. And then number five, put God first yourself. When you feel like it and when you don't, and when you fail to be as long as you'd be for your children, Tell them that you failed and ask for their forgiveness. You know what? There's been many a time at night I've had to go down to my kid's bed, sit on the edge of the bed, and say, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. I was a little bit too loud. I made a wrong decision. I, I, I overreacted. I was too protective. I probably should have given you a little more space there. I'm sorry. And you know what's funny? They forgive me. Every time. They got the softest hearts. I mean, it's not like I've done that once. I've done it like a hundred times. You say, you're a lousy parent. It works. They all love God. They're all in church. They love us. And I've made like a thousand mistakes. You say, I'm sorry every time. You say, well, you need to do better. I know, you're right. I should be better, but... When I'm not, I say, I'm sorry. And it works. Humility. I'm not the perfect parent. And so, tell your kids you're sorry. Let them hear that. 
Strive to be the best. And when you fail, say you're sorry. Here's the question as we close. And the worship team comes to lead us. And just to, I love this because we're going to sing I Surrender All. And I Surrender All is the most famous, powerful, old way of saying in a song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, including our kids. I will ever trust and love, live him, love him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. Surrender your kids to God. Surrender them to God. Give them to God. Call them out by name. Doesn't mean you're going to be absent. Doesn't mean you're not going to be involved. Listen, I get it. It's not easy. But I'm telling you, I feel like we can impact this world for Christ a whole lot more if we believe God's got a plan to use our kids in a great way. Even in a greater way than he's used us. Like arrows is going to be good tonight. These next eight weeks are going to be powerful as we covenant together to raise godly kids but I'm telling you if we don't take it serious we're going to be desperate and we're going to be stressed and we're going to be fighting because there's nothing that causes problems like a kid that's kind of not doing the right thing and oftentimes it's not the kid's fault it's moms and dads who have just not parented well so I'm speaking to moms and dads children you're off the hook today we got to step it up we got to take it more serious we got to do it better more biblical let's bow for prayer shall we I surrender all in just a moment I'm going to pray and if you need to come you know I I wrestle with invitations because I really feel like their responses it's just Man, I'd I'd hate to miss this moment, to lose this moment. I don't want to lose this moment, moms and dads. There's so much has been said, and yet, if we're not careful, we can can just kind of turn it off in about two minutes as we're dismissed and just chalk it up to another message. This is more than a message. To me, this is stewarding the greatest gift other than salvation that God has given us. Listen, I'm a dad and I'm a granddad. I'm a papa. And the greatest legacy I can leave to my kids and my grandkids is papa, dad, loved God. He loved God. It was so obvious. That's my prayer for all of us today. That's my prayer for me. Father, I love you. God, bless this. Take it. Use it. Whatever you need to do, God. And then, Lord, take the Take, take the movie tonight and the Bible studies and all of it, God, and may we have the, the, the greatest experience that we could have as a church family when it comes to the emphasis we've placed on the year of the child. May we finish strong as parents, as grandparents, as mentors. God, help us, Lord, today to begin the process of fully surrendering first ourselves and then our kids to God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?